Hello, and welcome to the Driving Forward podcast. I am your host, Andrew Stasiowski of the American Highway Users Alliance. Today, we have a great interview for you about the trucking industry. Before we get to the interview, I wanted to change things up a bit by offering our three key points from today's interview. First, the trucking industry is huge. 72% of all freight is moved by truck. Second, environmental regulations coming out of the state of California and the Environmental Protection Agency are threatening the ability of the trucking industry to operate efficiently. The industry will need more time to comply with these rules and the infrastructure in place to operate efficiently in this new environment. Third, the need for truck parking is massive. Additional parking is needed to both recruit drivers and allow drivers to find a safe place to rest. The highway users will continue to work with the trucking industry to support policies which provide for more truck parking. And now on to our interview. Today, we're gonna to dive into the industry that keeps our economy going every day. I am, of course, talking about trucking. Joining us Chris Spear. Chris is the president and CEO of the American Trucking Associations. ATA is the largest and most comprehensive trade association representing the trucking industry, and Chris has been their leader since 2016. Chris, welcome to the Driving Forward podcast. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Appreciate you coming on today. I know this is, uh, this is a big get for us, so thank you. So, you know, I, I think we like to start our podcasts with just kind of a general overview uh, of the industry we're discussing today. And obviously trucking, you know, I think everyone sees trucks on the roads. They interact with them all the time. I don't think people fully grasp how big the trucking industry is. Could you just kind of talk about, you know, how much of the percentage of freight is moved by trucks and just the overall economic impact of trucks? Yeah, today, Andrew, uh, we're moving 72.5% of the domestic freight in the U.S. and uh, roughly 76% of the trade between Mexico and Canada. So we are now rail's largest customer. You know, repositioning and, and the coordination of intermodal elements within the supply chain have become, you know, an integral part of trucking. You know, if we're not moving it, we're generally last mile. So it, it will touch a truck at some point if it's not solely moved by our industry. There are parts and pieces where we still play a, a vital role. So supply chain efficiencies are obviously very, very important. And we hear a lot more talk about that nowadays, especially during COVID, post-COVID, and with the new infrastructure bill. So 72.5% is a big number. To grow it even more, you're going to have to have a lot of investment into our infrastructure. But we're very proud of what we've become today. And uh, it's a very proud industry. We're, we're literally over 8 million strong in trucking, uh, 3.8 million drivers, and we're one in 18 jobs in the United States. We're the top job in 29 states, Andrew, is trucking-related. So there really isn't anything uh, you know, that isn't impacted by our industry, and not just the milk, eggs, bread, and fuel, but you know, even during COVID, the test kits, the PP, and the, the vaccine itself. So you know, we are very involved in literally every element of the economy. And so, you know, when we have disruptions, obviously it's felt by consumers, uh, including you and me. So putting a spotlight on that's what ATA does. We're in our 91st year. I'm the ninth person to lead it during that span. So we've seen a lot since 1933. The evolution of not just the ATA, but the industry within it uh, and the country has, has changed and grown. And we've had to adapt and grow with it. So uh, it's a great story. It's it's one that we're very proud of, as I said. 
and uh, really appreciate the have opportunity to come on and, and give some uh, color to it. I appreciate that. That's, that's really helpful for everyone to understand just how big, you know, everyone gets, I think I get a delivery truck come back by my house just about every single day, delivering a package, delivering it, what could be, I think, you know, the logistical uh, efficiency of the trucking industry is really something to withhold. You know, I think given that, what would you say today are, are some of the biggest threats facing the industry? What are the things that you think, you know, are you guys are focused on? Yeah, I think outward facing most consumers now have a general understanding of the industry during COVID, post COVID. So you mentioned a delivery truck to your house. COVID certainly brought just in time uh, e-commerce really to the forefront of America's awareness. Uh, consumers now understand, you know, to get something that quickly, sometimes the same day, delivered to your doorstep. There's a lot of a movement that goes with that, and there's a lot of people behind that happening and. So I think they understand our industry and the vital role that we all play. It's not just a truck or a step van. It's it's a person behind the wheel. They're often a mom. They're a dad. They're a husband, wife. Uh, they play parts in every community in the country. So clearly, the last five years have really brought to life the public's awareness. What they aren't seeing, however, is, is the future and the threats that they could pose if we go too fast if we have timelines and targets that are simply unachievable. And what I'm referring to there is this mad dash to zero, zero emissions. And I would say that is without question over the next 10 to 12 years, the biggest threat to our industry. And people out there, consumers, really need to understand what it means. It is not an anti-environment agenda. We have a, a tremendous pedigree when it comes to reducing emissions. We all want clean air. We all want clean water. 40 years of, of working with the EPA on phases one, two, and now three greenhouse gas emissions, we have removed during that span 98.5% of everything that comes out of the tailpipe. So today, one truck, one brand new truck emits what 60 trucks emitted in 1988. That is a remarkable story. And it's one we're very proud of, and we tell hand in glove with our regulators like EPA. So, you know, it's, it's innovation. It's working with very, very smart engineers at OEMs that know how to do this. And it's also, Andrew, more importantly, having achievable timelines and targets. If we go too fast, you're going to have a lot of repercussions, and that is exactly what we're seeing now. This administration, this White House is usurping the EPA's authority and partnering with industries like ours. And by the way, we, we like working with EPA because it's one standard, not 50. It cross state lines like airlines, like you know ships, rail. We're all very much a, a, an interstate commerce driven industry. So one standard is good for us. And uh, what this White House has done is granted waivers, not unprecedented, but granted these waivers to CARB, California Resources Board in Sacramento. This is an unelected board that has basically carved us out and decided that starting January 1 of this year, advanced clean truck rule is in effect, which means our OEMs now have to manufacture a certain percentage each year of non-tailpipe emission, non-emitting equipment like electric trucks. And they have to remove diesel from their offering. So displacing that with a percentage year over year of these BEV uh, commercial vehicles, 
come 2030 is the advanced clean fleet rule takes effect. That is the motor carriers that now have to buy that equipment from the OEMs. And so we're talking one to you know six years that year over year, you're going to have to adopt. And it's not just California. We have 11 adopting CARB states. Beyond that, several others that will probably follow suit. So half states in the country are now going to follow CARB's lead. This truly has become, with these waivers, the United States of California. And this White House is granting that because they know CARB can go faster than the EPA. They know they can bypass the public comment, a lot of the pursuing litigation that would likely happen and do this much more quickly. And if it fails, they have the luxury of blaming CARB and wiping their hands of it. So politically, it has an appeal. But when you look at it from our perspective, you know, we want it to be successful. To do that in six years, you're going to have to have infrastructure to plug into. We all know that doesn't exist. Even with electric cars you rent, it's so impossible to find places to charge. Just rent one and you'll find out how taxing and emotionally draining that is. It's stressful. For our industry, uh, that's certainly an issue. Uh, beyond that, you've got to have power flowing through that infrastructure. So the grid, we, we've studied uh, American Transportation Research Institute put out a report that 40% more capacity is needed on our U.S. grid to charge every car and truck currently on the road. That does not exist, especially in states like California that have rolling blackouts. So that's a big issue. Thirdly, the minerals that go into the battery, the graphite, the nickel, the lithium, the cobalt, those four ingredients, Andrew, come from two particular places in the world, China and the Congo. And I think we'd all agree China is not the steady sourcing partner that we want. Congo, do we want six-year-olds digging this out of the soil for us? Not probably, no. So sourcing it domestically or from reliable sources not only will make the product more available, it'll bring the price down and avoid all those entanglements from, from China, take trade tensions to geopolitical tensions to child labor. Then you move on to price parity. We're talking three, four times as much for a brand new electric versus a brand new diesel. For medium and small companies, they will not afford that, even if they could get their hands on it. So the equipment that is available will probably go to the largest fleets that have the strongest buying power. For those medium and small companies that are forced to buy it, can't afford it, even if they could get it, which is a question. The last thing I would point to is the operational parity. It takes 15 minutes, Andrew, to fuel a diesel tractor to go 1,200 miles in any condition. Rain, snow, cold, extreme heat doesn't impact that platform. On electric, it takes up to six to eight hours to charge that vehicle to go at best 250 miles. So, by the way, the weight of those batteries is about 16,000 pounds total for two batteries, 8,000 8, pounds each, if you go with the largest for the biggest range. So that counts against your payload, we capped at 80,000. So now I've got to reduce it 16,000 pounds, which means I need more trucks to move the same amount of freight, which means I need more drivers, which we don't have. So you can see the circular effect. Yeah. This isn't really thought through, that's carb for you. The genius is a typical dwelling Sacramento, never took the time to really understand that reality and the impact it's going to have. So if you fast forward to folks like you and I and those watching this podcast, wonder what's that impact? If you're concerned about inflation, this is going to cause it. If you're concerned about choice, 
you're going to go from eight apples down to three. These are the realities that come with these kinds of rules this fast. So I view it as a threat. I see consolidation in our industry. I see inflation. I see less choice. It is really a, a snowball effect that I think even most common sense person, you don't need an economics degree to really appreciate this. It's very, very clear cut. We're not saying no, just give us time to let the market adjust to this sort of thing. Let us start with school buses, start with garbage trucks, start with step vans that are delivering during the day that can be back in non-peak hours and charge. Build the infrastructure, the grid, get the minerals sourced and the price and operational parity in check, and then start expanding outward to long haul. These are just common sense approaches that will get us there just going to take a little bit longer. And I'd say, you know, renewable fuels, uh, hybrids, any type of solution that reduces emissions should be counted, not, not rejected. So we're out there pounding marble on this. I think it's something that we really need to amplify, and I appreciate the opportunity to walk you through that. That's our biggest threat, Andrew. No, I appreciate that. That's really helpful. And I think, you know, we've all been going through inflation and as you discuss, what, 72% of all freight is moved by truck. You add inflation into that, you just naturally, you're going to see inflation go up in everything that's moved in our in our products and, you know, every aspect of that. You know, I think you talked about the driver issue, too. I know that's been an issue you guys have been working on a lot. What is the state of the drivers? I mean, we, when we talk about infrastructure and all we need to do, I mean, drivers are a critical part of our infrastructure. We might not see that as a road or a bridge, but the drivers are critical to our, our ability to move our freight and efficiently. Yeah, it's, it's one thing that a global pandemic will, will bring to the surface is sort of a granular understanding of what this means to me. So I can't count how many times I got I went to a restaurant during and after COVID as we came out of it. And, you know, the waiter or waitress would say, we're really short tonight. <laughs> yeah, we noticed. Welcome to the show. We've been short on drivers long before COVID. You see it with airlines, whether it's pilots, flight attendants, ground crew. You see it at grocery stores, clerks. We're going to automated checkout. You know, we're just short everywhere. And so, you know, COVID really brought that to light. It's, it's something we had been facing before. It, it went from 50,000 drivers short a year to now 78,000. To put that in context, though, you know, when in Europe, it was just over there. I try to go over once a year and kind of benchmark you know, there's a low conflict going on in Ukraine and Ukraine and Polish drivers make up the lion's share of, of the, the workforce driver pool for Europe. And uh, they recalled 70,000 Ukrainians to go fight. That They were pulled right out of the workforce uh, and put into, into the front lines. And that's a major impact on their economy, ability to move freight. So, you know, Ukraine and Russia both passed legislation to allow women to drive. They, they didn't allow that. For this conflict, they joined the ranks of a lot of Western countries in allowing females to be trained to drive because they don't have any drivers. So it impacts in geopolitical, uh, you know, situations like that have dramatic ramifications on industries like ours and the economy. So they're at 3% women uh, driver force in Europe. We're at eight. That's nothing to brag about. So we need more people with color. We need more gender. So we need to go into the urban environments and recruit. We need more women, which means we need more lit, secure truck parking. We need you know, more uh, exiting service 
members from the military that have this skill set. We have a place for them to make up to six figures of full benefits any part of the country that they want. Veterans, we shouldn't lose those folks to the ether. Bad things generally happen. They you know, become dependent on, on some controlled substances that become homeless. We have a place for them in this industry and we can, we can keep that from happening. And that connectivity between our industry and say the Veterans Affairs Department and the Department of Labor and the Department of Defense is very critical. So workforce development takes on a lot of different parts and pieces to shore that shortage up. We have a technician shortage of about 30,000. So it's not just drivers, uh, it's the people that service these equipment that uh, are getting more and more complicated as, as they evolve. So it's a very, very good place to earn a living, higher than national average early earning without a college degree and all the debt that comes with it. So we're hoping to really capitalize on that, Andrew, and recruit new talent into the industry. I'd say 18 to 20. 49 states allowing 18 to 20 to drive a class eight. You just can't cross state lines. The infrastructure bill, we got some language in there to expand that. We're going to train them 400 hours uh, with, with a mentor in the truck. We're going to have some technology attached to this solution. Uh, we're going to do it safely and we're going to do it responsibly. And I think getting into the high schools and getting young people that don't want to go to college familiar with our industry as an option is very, very important to growth. So there's a lot of things we have to do to make that happen. And uh, walking you through those, I think, is a good illustration of how complex the issue is, but there's hope. I think we can, I think we can give uh, some new talent, new opportunities, and grow the industry and grow the economy as, as we go. Yeah, I think, you know, you see reports about some of the starting salaries for, for truck drivers and the competition to get these drivers really does, you know, increase those opportunities for potential people to join the industry. And it is a great industry. I, you know, I used to work in it as well. And it's a great industry that helps America. So I wanted to move on a little bit. One of the things the highway users have been are focused on and 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 really want to build out on is you know fixing the highway trust fund and investing in new roads and bridges and adding capacity to alleviate bottlenecks. You know we had Rebecca Brewster on here from Atri a few months ago, and she really talked about you know the bottleneck issues uh, in their 2023 survey. How do you guys see? infrastructure investment in fixing some of the bottlenecks and helping freight move more efficiently as well? Yeah, it's clearly one of their most popular reports annually. They put out the top 100 bottlenecks and uh, folks on Capitol Hill pay attention to that because, you know, they want to know if they're on the list. And if so, you know, what are they doing about it? Well, here's what you're doing about it. You passed a, a 38% increase in road and bridge funding in the IIJA, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, a couple of years ago. And when I try to remind members of Congress, because I think they've forgotten, take credit for it, you know? And it's funny because those that didn't vote for it are taking credit. You know, they go out there and they got it both ways. Okay, fine. But, you know, that road, that bridge, I did that. I had a hand in making that happen. 38% increase in road and bridge funding over five years is pretty historic. We haven't seen that kind of investment since the Eisenhower era. So it is a big deal. And I think that's our shop floor. It's, it's where we go to work every day. And downtime and repairs are excruciatingly expensive for our industry. We inflict a, a lot of damage on our equipment when you know, we're driving through potholed areas and, and bridges that are completely deficient. So this does make a difference. It gets us from point A to B faster, more efficiently, more safely. And if we're not sitting in congestion, as Atri reports, we're not a MIG. 
So, you know, there's something in this for everybody. If you're pro-business, that's good. Prices, they come down. Yeah, we can get things faster to market. Uh, obviously good for safety. Safety crowd, uh, you know, should like that. Fewer fatalities, uh, we welcome that. They're way, way too high. We need to take that to zero, as the secretary has said. And then for environmentalists, uh, if you want fewer emissions, 67 million metric tons of CO2 emitted just from the trucks sitting in traffic. You know, that's got to stop. So moving and not sitting makes a difference. And it, it, there's something in this for everybody. So congestion is something that, that we really continue to point to. I don't know too many people that have never experienced it. Uh, if you live in D.C., you, you experience it almost every day. And it makes a difference. Uh, it, it, it touches every element of interest in this debate. And, you know, passing a bill like that should be a no-brainer. Why we have politicized a slab of asphalt is beyond me. Roads and bridges, as you know, Andrew, don't discriminate based on party affiliation. We all drive on them. And yet here we are. So getting a bill that, to me, scratches every itch, and yet we still struggle to move it, uh, that's a doggone shame. So I remind people, take credit when you go back for this stuff. That's your district. That's your state that's benefiting not just from the funds, but all the safety and efficiencies and environmental reductions that come from that investment. Uh, that is a good thing that should just roll off your tongue. And so, you know, we're, we're really focused on this. It's, it's a long slog. Just because we got that passed doesn't mean it's over. Getting the monies out there, invested in the right projects are going to make all the difference. Along those lines, and you talked about it a little bit with Europe, you know, we need to really look at how we're investing in our infrastructure as well. We, you know, we at the Highways just believe there needs to be, you know, a, a global strategy for, you know, economic security and global competitiveness. You know, how can we invest our infrastructure to make trucking more competitive in the global economy? So we're onshoring and nearshoring jobs as well. Yeah, I think obviously trade is critical to this. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we lose 76% of the trade from Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. So it is a significant number. That that also goes, uh, you know, off our, our West and East Coast shores. So it's Asia Pacific or Europe, it's going to be trucks moving it. The minute that ship comes to port, we're moving intermodal. We're moving it into, you know, distribution centers and it parses out. So and if it's going on rail, that's great too. We pick it up on last mile. So these are these are all integrated that that uh, benefit within our supply chain from good trade agreements. We have not seen one trade agreement in the first three years of this administration. It's just absolutely jaw dropping. We have got to work globally. It's also good diplomacy. So there's so many other things, global stability that comes from that. Um, fewer fewer. Uh, if people have skin in the game economically, they're less inclined to get in, you know, a situation that creates a war or blocking something like 15% of trade through the, the Red Sea. So these are all things that benefit from trade. So we need more of that. And I think that also gives stability to our own highway trust fund. I, you know, we're paying nearly, as an industry, half the tab, state and federal, and that's fueled by a fuel tax, cars, trucks. As you know, our economy and global economies begin to move to non-fossil-based fuel sources of energy, our system is not set up to capture that revenue. So over the course of the next 10 plus years, we're gonna see the trust fund dwindle and less money is being used to go into those infrastructure investments. And that has to be addressed now not 10 years from now, 
The IIJ didn't do that, yet we're giving waivers to California to hit the gas within the next five, six years to electrify us. So it's happening, but this disconnect between our federal and state agendas and then factoring the global pressures, as you just cited, um, are going to have impactful bearing on our trust fund's ability to maintain pace, to successfully fund that infrastructure at a level that it needs to be to grow the economy, not just maintain it, but to grow it. And uh, you know, that's something that we really need to be zeroing in on over the next five, 10 years to ensure that Congress is also transitioning the funding sources for that. If you're gonna make us go in this direction, the next question is how do you fund it? Because the current system is already deficient and uh, you've got to make certain that the match bearings with those two uh, policies are absolutely integral. So, yeah, this is something that I think is very important for us to focus on. And uh, I appreciate you asking that question. Yeah, at the highway users, you know, we totally agree. The highway trust fund needs to be reformed. We're very concerned about the looming debt issues we're seeing with Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and the impact that could have on general funds. So it's clear we need to reform the trust fund to a more sustainable method going forward. And, you know, the impact that could have on the trucking industry, I want to, you know, I, I think we could turn back to it was, you know, you talked about, the, you know, battery electric vehicles and, and how that's going to impact the cost of a, a new truck. You know, the 12% federal excise tax that's connected to that will have a significant impact on you guys as well, correct? Absolutely. And, you know, in the IIJ that we've been discussing, they did include a, an advisory committee of all minds to come together at DOT to really, you know, focus in on this solution. We've appointed Dave Williams uh, from Knight Swift, who has extensive background in chairing not just our Environment and Energy Committee, but our, our Highway Policy Committee. So we feel we've got a member that has, you know, real world experience and has led uh, from a policy perspective, help shape what that should look like, because this really is a longer term issue that, you know, new ideas need not only to be at the table, we need to be discussing them now. And so the purpose of that, it saddens me that it's taken two years just to stand up the group. Maybe you started the dialogue yet. So, you know, I know the secretary is very focused on this, Secretary Buttigieg, to get that going. And we need to be sharing that, not just, you know, openly, but with Congress and helping them. And whether it's, you know, vehicle miles traveled or some kind of electronic odometer, some kind of fee structure, We've got to capture revenue from, from vehicles out there. And by the way, electrics are going to be a lot heavier. They're probably going to do a little bit more damage to the roads. They need to pay their fair share. And the system is not set up to capture that. And so this dialogue is going to be essential in, in shaping what that could look and feel like and giving constructive ideas from, from Congress. And that's the way it should work. Having Congress try to come up with it on their own, that's not real world experience. And it's probably going to have repercussions like I just outlined with CARB. They don't think these things through from our perspective. And you're going to do probably more damage than good. So, you know, I think this is going to be good dialogue and we need to get a solution in, in place soon. So uh, I'm with highway users on this. I think this is something that is very much front burner. And if we're hitting the gas on the energy environment side, We've got to have solutions in our trust fund that accommodate a steady revenue source long-term for our infrastructure. Absolutely. So I'm going to go into our last question, which we ask everyone, and I'm uh, curious what your answer is going to be. It's been fun so far. If you could fix one thing to help the trucking industry, just wave your magic wand, what would it be? Parking. 
Absolutely. <laughs> it's a no-brainer for me because, uh, you know, we have one spot for every 11 drivers today. And yet our, our DOT requires federally that they take 30-minute breaks. Well, if it's already filled, they can't find parking. You know, they're going to park that truck in an on and off ramp or in a lane that interacts with the motoring public. That's that's dangerous to them and, you know, the motoring public. So it's a safety issue, not only for arrested driver, but for, for everyone else out there sharing the road. It's also a compliance issue. We want them, you know, to make certain they can comply. Uh, so they're going to need available parking to do it. It's also a time issue. They're running on average 56 minutes a day looking for that parking spot. That's crazy. And that averages about $5,500 of earnings that they're not making because they're busy looking for a parking spot to rest and comply with federal law. So this is a problem. Uh, we had a billion dollars in the House bill authorized. I don't know why the Senate, bipartisan, took it out. I have to say and give just tremendous shout out to Secretary Buttigieg and his staff. They have done an outstanding job of leveraging IIJ discretionary monies to support this cause. We've had multiple state grants go out from Florida, Tennessee, Louisiana, all the way to South Dakota. Did an event with the secretary out there on new truck parking, and that makes a difference. Uh, we need more states to apply for that money. It's available. So we sent a letter from all of our state association executives to their governors, reminding them that Secretary Buttigieg has this money available to him. You need to apply. And uh, until we get that authorization, this is uh, about as good as we can get on the front front end of it. But we need more parking. We need support. I'm getting it from the administration. I need to go back to the Hill and get it permanently authorized. So that would be the thing I'd wave that wand and fix. That's great. Yeah, we, we have definitely supported you guys on that. And I, I agree. It's a huge issue for our ability to, to be efficient and competitive in the trucking industry and how we you know invest in the infrastructure in general. So totally agree with you on that. Chris, I really want to thank you today for joining us. This was great. Hope to have you back on the Driving Forward podcast again soon. Thanks, Andrew, for having me. We covered a lot of ground and uh, appreciate what you and the highway users are doing. And uh, AT is a proud member and really uh, appreciates the opportunity to really bring our issues to the, to the surface. I look forward to working with you in 2024. Absolutely. Thank you very much. All right. I want to thank Chris once again for joining us today to talk about the trucking industry and all the issues facing such an important part of our economy. Please subscribe and listen to the Driving Forward podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.